Let me share with you the incredible true story. In the book, Second Calling, Dale Burke, who's actually a female, writes that years ago, she attended a conference. And when it was over, her friend Bruce offered her a ride to the airport. As they were getting in the cab to go to the airport, another man asked if he could join them on the ride to the airport. And as they drove uh, away from the hotel, she and Bruce asked the man where he worked, and he mentioned a Christian organization. And Bruce said, I have fond memories of that group uh, because I attended a retreat of theirs one time. Uh, in, that's where I became a Christian. It was in 1972 in New Hampshire. And Bruce went on to explain eventually his whole family became Christians. Many of them went into Christian work. His sister was a Wycliffe missionary. Bruce himself became the president of a large Christian publishing organization that published many, many books that helped lots of people. And Bruce finished the story and he said, you know what, when you think about it, that little retreat in 1972 in New Hampshire, small amount of people there, it literally changed the world for the cause of Christ. Who would have thought that God could have done something in New Hampshire in that little bit of retreat back in 1972? The man riding in the car was totally silent. And Dale and Bruce thought that maybe they were boring him with their story. And then this stranger quietly said this, he said, I led that retreat. It was the first time as a conference leader, and I felt like a total failure. Until this moment, I have always believed it was one of the biggest failures of my life. Dale Burke wrote and said what it seemed like the simple act of offering a ride to a stranger had turned into a powerful reminder that God uses our efforts whether we realize it or not. And she said, I may spend the rest of my life doing things that don't seem at all successful, yet God only knows the purpose. I am called simply to be faithful. What a powerful reminder on the power of faithfulness. And if there's any area of the Christian life, if you're like me, that it seems like your faithfulness is not paying off, it's in the area of bringing other people to Jesus, is it not? We share, we invite, we encourage, we nag, whatever the case is. And sometimes it seems as if our faithfulness is not even paying off and trying to bring other people into the presence of Jesus. And so I invite you to take your Bibles and turn this morning to Mark chapter 2 for a message simply titled, Lord, Find Us Faithful. I had a little dilemma this week, so we have a record of everything we've preached since I've been here, passages, sermon titles, all that kind of stuff, so we can look back and see what we've taught through. And so as I'm looking through the preaching notes, uh, I, I taught through Mark chapter 2. The first half, uh, about eight years ago, I taught in a series, and I taught out of the first half of Mark chapter 2. Raise your hand if you were not attending church here eight years ago. We just raised your hand, so there's lots of you who have not heard us teach that. So if you have heard us teach that, I'm not going to teach the same message. Relax. Don't try to yell out the punchline before I do. It's not the same message, all right? And so here in Mark chapter 2, let me just catch you up to speed. Uh, Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 14, uh, Pastor Chris did a great job last week teaching us about the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. He entered town, he began to preach about the kingdom of God, and uh, in that chapter, Jesus, uh, at the end of chapter 1, he d demonstrates his incredible power, casting out demons, healing people, just his powers on display, speaking to his deity as God in the flesh. And from Mark chapter 1, verse 32, we realize that Jesus healed probably just about everyone uh, in that town. And so each miracle left people hungry and clamoring for more. 
do it again, and what's he going to do this time? you got to come and see this. And I saw him heal this guy, and he cast all these demons. And so just his fame began to spread at that point in time. And so to escape the frenzy that was growing around his ministry, uh, Jesus and his four disciples left Capernaum, and they began a preaching tour through Galilee. We know that from chapter 1, verses 38 and verse 39. So uh, here in chapter 2, that preaching tour is now over in Galilee. They begin to make their way back to Capernaum, and they enter town with little fanfare, but soon word began to get out that Jesus, the miracle worker, was coming back into town. And so that's where we pick up the text here in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, uh, we're going to read this morning verses uh, 1 through 5, and then I'm going to skip down and read verses 13 and 17 as we see two encounters uh, Jesus has with people who are far from God. Mark chapter 2, and again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that, that he was in the house. Immediately... Many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. And then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him, because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. And so when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Let me give you the cliff notes for verses 6 through 12. The Pharisees were mad at him. All right? So there's his cliff notes. Skip down to verse 13. And then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him. Everyone. Now, sometimes you ever think, what was it like to be Jesus? When I read in Mark and we're saying, here's the word I think of when I think, what would it like to be Jesus? Exhausting, right? Like he couldn't get a break anywhere. And so the multitude, all of them came to him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me, most common invitation of Jesus in the Gospels, follow me. So he arose and followed him. And now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I absolutely love this passage. If you've ever thought that when you think of Jesus, he's mad at people who are far from God, he's totally against people who are far from God. Sometimes as Christians, we're guilty at being mad at people who are far from God instead of being grieved for them. And so this passage teaches us clearly, Mark chapter 2, that Jesus was a friend of sinners. Here he finds a guy in a hopeless situation. He says, you know what? You didn't deserve it, but I'm going to extend grace to you. In the second part of Mark chapter 2, he finds a guy that no one likes, and he loves him. And, and so this over and over we see this Jesus uh, engaging people with the message of the gospel. And so, so here's the reality. If we want to be like Christ then we have to do the same thing. We have to leverage our time and our resources and our energy and our influence to help uh, reach people who are far from God. Uh, one of the things Jesus said, if you remember back in chapter 1, verses 14 through 20, uh, Jesus starts off his public ministry. He says, hey, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And so one of the things that should mark our lives as Christ followers is that we're constantly fishing for people. We're constantly trying to find people and build relationships with those who are far from God so that we can share with them the message of hope and reconciliation and redemption in Jesus Christ. Listen, it's so important. Uh, one writer said this about uh, outreach. He said, hey, listen, if you're not fishing, you're not following. Because that's when Jesus invited people to say, hey, listen, this is part of it. Reaching out to other people who are far from God. And here we see Jesus in Mark chapter 2 model this uh, for all of us. And so 
In this passage, I want to walk you through some principles uh, we see modeled in the life of Jesus that are principles for faithful fishing. The first thing I want you to see is this. In fishing for men, you must communicate the gospel. Now, you say, well, that sounds like, why would you mention that? Of course you do. Let me just tell you this. This is totally my opinion. One of the most dangerous things happening in the church and local church culture is this, is that we've taken gospel proclamation, communicating the name and message of Jesus, and we put it in the back seat. And in the front seat, we've put the idea of social justice. And so if we're not careful, what happens is the world looks around us and it doesn't identify us as those belonging to Jesus. They're just a group of do-gooders. They're out buying goats and digging wells and feeding people and clothing people and all those kinds of things. And listen, if you never mention the name of Jesus Christ in all of those serving efforts, engaging people, then guess what? It's not missions. And so the reality is, is you have to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have to speak clearly and compassionately about Christ. And the social gospel basically views this, that if you're a Christian, your job is to make the world around you a better place. Now, that should be the overflow of what we're doing. But the end goal is to engage people around us, to serve them, to build a bridge so that we in turn can share Christ with people who desperately need hope in Him. If you're listening, say amen. Cultural engagement is a bridge to gospel proclamation, not a substitute for it. I'm all for building wells. I'm all for helping people with literacy. I'm all for feeding people, clothing people, all those things. As long as that's not an end in and of itself, the end game is to tell people about Jesus Christ because in Him and Him alone is salvation. And so our engagement is to gain an audience for the gospel. Here's something we say all the time. We do good works to gain an audience for the good news. Would you say that with me? We do good works to gain an audience for the good news. One more time with Pentecostal power, all right? We do good works to gain an audience for the good news. Good works aren't an end in and of themselves. Yes, they show we belong to Jesus. Yes, they give testimony of genuine faith. But at the end of the day, that's not the end game. The end game is telling people about Christ. Now, if there would have been anyone who... The crowd around would have said, hey, do good things for us. Help us. We have needs. Meet our needs. If there would be anyone who felt that pressure, and by the way, don't, don't leave all that religious stuff out of the equation, but help us. We're hurting, right? It would have been Jesus. It would have been Jesus. That's what it became known for. However, imagine their surprise and disappointment when this crowd begins to gather around. They press into the house and say, hey, Jesus is back in town. The crowd just shows. There's no marketing campaign. He is the marketing campaign. All this. And can you imagine their disappointment? They want to see a show. What's he going to do this time? He's going to cast out a demon. He's going to raise someone from the dead. He's going to heal someone. And what happens? He gathers this huge crowd. And you know what he does? He preaches to them. The horror, right? He shares truth. Look at verses 1 and 2. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days. His preaching tour in Galilee is over. And it was heard that uh, he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together. So there was no longer room to receive them. Standing room only. Wasn't even room near the door. And then here's what it says. And he preached the word to him. Jesus, listen, Jesus didn't look around going, hey, I'm here to make this a better place. I'm here to feed people. I'm here to do all these things. Listen, at the end of the day, everything he did was to lead to a proclamation of truth. Uh, look at verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 38. Go back a chapter. and uh, So uh, chapter 1, verse 38. But he said to them, this is Jesus, 
Let us go into the next town so I, so I can heal people, so people can follow me around, so I can feed people, so I can raise people. No, no, no. What's he saying in verse 38? He says, let us go to the next town that I may preach there. Because for this purpose, gospel proclamation, for this purpose, I have come forth. And you say, well, what exactly was he preaching about? Was he trying to create a better life? Was he meeting felt needs? Like when in chapter 2, we don't, the text doesn't tell us what exactly was the sermon that Jesus preached here. I don't know. My guess is it's a lot like the sermon in chapter 1 that he preached in verses 14 and 15. Look at what it says. Verse 14, chapter 1, now after John was put into prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom. You know why Jesus did the things he did? It wasn't to make the world around him a better place. He did the things he did to draw a crowd, and when he draw a crowd, the goal was gospel proclamation. Verse 15, and saying, the time is fulfilled, all the Old Testament prophecies have now been fulfilled in me, and the kingdom of God is at hand Repent and believe in the gospel. His method was uh, preaching and his message uh, was repentance. And sometimes if we're not careful, listen, we can be known for everything but gospel proclamation. We can be known for raking leaves for people. We can be known for building uh, wells and buying goats. And we can be known for literacy. And we can be known for habitat humanity. And we can be known for helping people and feeding people and passing out water and all those kinds of things. Listen, but if at the end of the day, of all those opportunities to engage and serve people, don't make Jesus more known, we have failed in our mission. The goal is gospel proclamation. Yes, we serve people, but at the end of the day, when we gain an audience and build a relationship, it's to share the truth of God's word. And there's the dangerous temptation in our churches to make biblical instruction a second-class citizen. Kyle looks over my manuscript every week. He's out of town for a wedding this week. And, and I said, Kyle, what do you think about the manuscript? He said, ah, it's, it's okay, it's okay. And I said, you know what that means? I said, you read that part? about uh, biblical instruction being second class. I said, yeah. I said, you know what that means? He said, what? I said, that means I'm more important than you. I said, do you agree? He said, I don't. Listen, I'm not saying worship's not important. It's vitally important. I'm not saying serving's not. Listen, all those things. But at the end of the day, here's the deal. When people leave our services, no one should say, hey, Kyle's awesome or Brad's great or that was a fantastic welcome. Everyone should leave our church bragging about Jesus. Not was the preaching good, how great is Jesus. Not was the worship good, how wonderful is our king. When we go out in the community, they shouldn't say, hey, those people are so nice. They should say, wow, how wonderful is Jesus. Jesus draws a crowd. And listen, he could have made the world a better place, right? He could have said, hey, you know what, I'll heal you and I'll heal you and I'll help you and I'll feed you and all, all those things. But every time he drew a crowd, what's he do? He preaches. He shares truth with them. John chapter 17, uh, verse 17 says this, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. What does sanctify mean? It means helping people become like Jesus. What's the primary means that God has for helping us to become more like Jesus? It is truth. It is the word of God. And Jesus would have absolutely felt the pressure of just meeting people's needs, and there were so many needs around him. Listen, no one in the crowd that day, when it says they're pressed in so far that you couldn't even get in the door. Listen, no one in the crowd that day is sitting out there going, oh boy, I hope he preaches a good sermon, right? No one's going, hey, share the word of truth, Jesus. They're there, listen to them, he was a roaming carnival. He was a magic act on wheels. 
All throughout the gospel, so many of his followers weren't sincere. They were there for the crowd or the show or to be associated. Or they were there not because of who he was and what his message was, but because of what he could do for them. One of the great passages uh, that, that, that shows this, where lots of people weren't sincere and wanting to be around Jesus, is in John chapter 6. Let me read it to you out of the New Living Translation. Here's what it says. John chapter 6, verse 1 says, And after this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him. Now, let me just pause right now. Can we just agree this morning that, that, that that's not the measure of success? That I, I just, all the time I hear people saying, God's really blessing that church. How do you know? It's a huge crowd there every weekend. Okay? So, uh, so here's what it says. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went. Because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Go down to verse 26. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you. Not because you understood the miraculous signs. In other words, what they were pointing to. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. In other words, do you want me or you just want what I can do for you? Now, listen to this, verse 66. Here's what it says. And at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. You know what that means? Listen, the size of the crowd is not the marker of success. The marker of success is faithfulness. The marker of success is preaching the truth of God's word and the word of God transforming people, doing what only it can do as the spirit of God comes alive in their hearts. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many people show up here, if no one's life is being changed, if the gospel's not being proclaimed, we're not a success. Because many people follow Jesus, and when he laid down the truth, this is what it looks like to be my disciple. This is what it looks like to follow me. This is the cost of discipleship. Take up your cross and follow me. Let the dead bury their dead. If you don't love me more than your father and your mother, you can't be my disciple. And many of them walked away from him. See, here's the deal. Jesus is not interested in the majority who are a little like him. Jesus is interested in the minority who are a lot like him. And the way that he makes us transforms us is through the proclamation of truth. And so if you're going to be faithfully fishing, listen, in all of your serving, in all of your bridge building, in all of your gospel neighboring, in all of those things, make sure you clearly and compassionately mention the name of Jesus. Otherwise, we're a bunch of do-gooders. That's it. Gospel proclamation, not social justice, is God's chosen method for reaching the hearts of people. Listen to these scriptures. Romans chapter 10, how then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? That's proclamation. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? Since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. Now, listen to this. God was pleased that through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Now, listen to me this morning. When you think of preaching, just think of sharing, proclamation. That's it. And you don't have to be a preacher or a theologian or a debater. Listen, you just constantly share with people, this is what God has done in my life. This is what Christ has done in my life. Let me share with you. Let me just offer up this challenge. I didn't do this in the first service. I totally forgot. I got, got stirred up. And so, so here's the deal. Let me, just, let me just challenge you this week. Go out on social media, and number one, use it for God's glory, all right? just That's number one goal. 
Go out this week on social media, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. I don't know what else there is out there. Go out there and just, here, listen, here's my challenge. Just write out and say, hey, you, so many of you know me on here. You may not know my story. Here's my story of transformation. This is what Christ has done in my life. And post it out there and let everyone. Can you imagine if everybody in our church did that, the thousands and thousands and thousands of people who would hear stories of life change. And at the end of the day, we would be known for our good works and our good deeds and building wells and buying goats and feeding the homeless and all those things. We've been known as lives that have been changed by the power of the gospel. That's what we should be known for. And so in faithful fishing, yes, we do all those things, but in faithful fishing, you have to communicate clearly and compassionately the name of Jesus. Crowd gathers in and said, Jesus, who are you going to heal? You're going to cast out demons again? That was so awesome the way you did that. I've got a mother-in-law, she's got a demon in her. Would you do, would you help her, right? That's not true for me, by the way. That's not true for me. And verse 2 says this, and he preached to him. Chapter 1, he says, this is the purpose for which I've come in every town, to preach to them. And so in faithful fishing, we have to communicate the name of Jesus clearly and compassionately. Do we serve people? Yes. But at the end of the day, it's so that we can get an audience for the good news. That's what faithful fishing looks like. Here's the second principle I want you to see about faithful fishing. Second principle is this. You have to be willing to run towards broken people. Now, can we, can we just all, me included, be honest about the fact we'd rather avoid broken people than run towards them? That they've got needs. They've, they've got all kinds of things going on. And you've got your own life to be concerned about, and you've got your own kids, and your own, you know, all, all the things you're worried about. In your life. And so when you think of, of encounter, actually running towards someone who's got brokenness in their life, can we just be honest? It just sounds exhausting. But we cannot negate the fact that over and over and over again in the Gospels, we see Jesus running towards people who are on the margins uh, riddled with brokenness. Let me share with you an interesting stat, because here's the deal. We, we can look around our community and see just, you know, all kinds of affluence and all kinds of uh, signs of prosperity. And that, that's not wrong. And we can think, well, there's no brokenness around us. Let me give you a little stat. So a few months ago, I found this out. If you drew a five-mile radius around our church in a five-mile radius, 25% of the households in a five-mile radius have a net worth of $1 million or greater. 25%, one of every four. All right? And in, a, in that same radius, those uh, 25% of the people, half of them have a net worth greater of $2 million. Now, let me let you know a little secret, though. Money does not inoculate people against brokenness that sin causes. Did you know that? There's no shortage of people living around us whose lives haven't been ravaged by sin. And so the reality is there's all kinds of needs uh, around us. Now, let me tell you what money does do. What it does do is it creates opportunities, and those opportunities end up uh, filling up our schedule with activities and events and all these kind of things. And so what happens is it's not that we're not concerned about broken people. It's that our schedules are so full, there's no margin in them to run towards someone. So instead of running towards someone who's broken, whose life has been racked and ravaged by sin, we end up just avoiding them all together because I just don't have time. Can we just acknowledge that no one had a greater agenda in their life than Jesus Christ? And yet we see him over and over and over in the Gospels running towards people, making margin for people whose lives have been broken by sin. Over and over. We see it uh, in this 
passage. First year I preached the message, and I'm well aware that you go back and listen to all my messages over and over and over and so, but just in case you haven't, let me remind you. Uh, first message of the year, I preached the message, and, I, and here's what I challenged our church. I said, hey, listen, if we're going to say with integrity the local church is the hope of the world, then we've got to run towards people who find themselves in hopeless situations. You can't sit back and say, hey, we've got, we found hope, and his name is Jesus, and so if you want to come, then, then we're here. No, you've got to run towards people who find themselves in hopeless situations if you're going to say with integrity that the church is the hope of the world. And so uh, over and over we, we should be uh, doing that and we see that. And here's what, listen, we see that modeled here in this passage. Look at chapter 2, uh, verses 3 and 4 again. It says, Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. When they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Can you imagine? What kind of burden do you have to have for someone who's in a hopeless situation that you would put them on a mat? And you'd grab, say, hey, you grab a corner and you get a corner. Because here's the deal. Apart from an encounter with Jesus, this person is hopeless. And you get a corner and I'll get a corner. And the text doesn't say they knew this man. Listen, we don't even know who these people are in the text. The Bible never gives us their name. Now we can safely conclude they weren't Baptists because they didn't form a committee and take a vote, right? They weren't Presbyterians because they didn't predate, uh, debate whether he's predestined to be healed or not. They just said, hey, here's a guy who's hopeless. And instead of running away from him, instead of just going to say, hey, Jesus in the house, let's try and get in there. Let's get something. Let's get blessed. They said, here's a guy who's totally hopeless. Let's run towards him because apart from an encounter with Jesus, he has no hope in his life. You get a corner, I'll get a corner, and let's run up the side of this house. Now, we don't understand, like, what I think of that. Can we just be honest? I get winded going up my two-story house, right? And so we don't understand. We've heard this story so many times. We're no longer shocked by what happens here. Uh, let me tell you how houses were made in those days. They would usually be uh, one-story houses. They had a large center room. That's where Jesus would have been teaching. The crowd would have been gathered around. But on the outside of these houses, there's an external staircase. And so they would have grabbed this guy and they had a flat roof. They would have taken him up on this external staircase. Again, I get tired carrying my dog upstairs, right? She weighs six pounds. They're carrying a guy, he's total dead weight. They're carrying up this outside staircase, and then they get up there. And listen, it's not like, okay, we're here, let's just drop him down through the skylights, right? No. How they made the roofs in that point in time, there would have been large beams. Uh, they would have put across the span of that, that house, and then in between the beams, there would have been smaller wood sticks kind of woven together, and then there would be thatch. And then they would take that and they would cover it with mud. And then on top of the mud, they would bake and make some kind of tiles and then lay those on top of the mud. So when it says here in the passage that they dug through the roof, that's because they would have had to remove the tiles by hand and literally with their bare hands dug through mud and thatch and cleared out sticks and finally found a place in between those large beams to lower a man down. Listen, their hands would have been bleeding. They would have torn off fingernails. But here's the deal. When you run towards people and are burned, burden for people who are in hopeless situations and you believe 
at the core of your conviction that Jesus Christ has what they need, you'll do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. That's exactly what our lives should look like. Not running away from broken people. Oh, they're needy. Listen, running towards them. Why? Because Jesus alone has hope for their broken lives. Because that's exactly what should happen. Let me just tell you something. You know what the greatest need of our church is? It's not to put more people in this room. Now, on a good Sunday when there's not a cloud in the sky, not a soccer tournament on the schedule, and everyone's had their coffee, we'll have a 1,000 people on the weekends. Yay us, right? That makes us one of the uh, 3% largest churches in North America if you're in 1,000 people. Let me just say something right now. Who cares? You see, the goal and the strength and the health of a church is not by how many it seats, it's how many it sends. And if a thousand people come and listen to us teach and lead and all those things, but nobody goes out to take the gospel, nobody's willing to grab a mat and put a hopeless person on there to carry them into the presence of Jesus. Listen, that's not successful. I don't care how many people are coming. And the greatest need of our church is not to have more people sit in this room. The greatest need of our church is to have more mat carriers. Last month, we hosted an outreach at Rochester Hills. It's a mobile home community in Monroe, which is exactly what I said we're going to do. Our goal is to plant neighborhood churches in places no one else wants to plant a church. Mobile homes and apartment places, just all kinds of places where people often find themselves in challenging situations. And so true to our word, we said, hey, we're going to have an outreach there. And uh, the goal is to eventually plant a church there. But, but first off, we need to make uh, ourselves known. And so let's go and have an outreach. And so let me tell you what happened when we did that outreach uh, last month. There's some good and some bad things. One, we had an incredible turnout. Uh, so one of the things we did is, is we didn't know how many people were there, and so uh, we rented an ice cream truck, right? Listen, every fat kid's dream, amen? Like free ice cream, the guy's like, hey, you want to ride with me? I'm like, God answers prayer, right? And so I'm in the, and the guy's like, I'll play music, and then people come out and they hear the music, and so he starts playing all this like funky music. I said, no, 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 no. If I'm going to finally uh, ride in an ice cream truck, I want you to play the ice cream truck song. He's like, give me the do 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 I said, play it. And so there, and he's like, do you want the microphone? <laughs> I said, I would love to have the microphone. So we're driving around, ice cream trucks playing. I'm yelling at kids. I've got my shirt off, throwing around, hey. No, that's not true. So we're, we're just like, hey, free ice cream. And so people are coming out, and I said, hey, listen, do you want free ice cream? Listen, who doesn't want free ice cream, right? Kids start pouring out, I mean, like everywhere. You know, at one point in time, I was like, speed up, they're going to catch us, right? There's, I mean, they're out, and big kids start coming out. Guy comes out, he's got, I don't know how he's got, you know, covered up. He's like, hey, man. I was like, hey, buddy. I'm a little nervous. He's like, have some ice cream. I was like, but take all you want, right? Just like, boom, take. I mean, people kind of, what are you? And so I say, hey, we're having a party. Down at the front, we're having a party. Would you come? Would you come? Oh, I'd come. We had over 100 people from that mobile home community show up at that party. 100 people. And those aren't evangelist numbers. 100 people. And let me tell you what's even... <laughs> You know, evangelist says we had 100 people show up and there were 300 decisions for Christ. It was incredible, right? We had 100 people show up, we baptized 2,000. I don't know how it works, but here's what's more incredible. We had all the adults register because the goal was this. We want to do something nice for you, but at the end of the day, we want to tell you about Jesus. And so we had the adults register, and here's the question we ask them. Would you attend a Bible study if we hosted it in your community? 50% of the adults said, yes, I would. 50%. That's the good news. It's good news. Here's the bad news. In a church of a thousand people, 
We had 30 people show up to help us run that. And over half of them were either staff or related to staff. Now, look, look at my face. I may be sweaty. I'm not mad, all right? I'm not shaming this morning. What I'm telling you is this. We don't need more people to sit and listen. We need more people who will grab a mat and run towards hopeless people and hopeless situations to share with them the message of Jesus Christ. We don't need to be the people gathered in the room going, oh, what's he going to say? What's he going to do? Listen, we need to be people who look around and go, hey, listen, apart from us running towards him, this guy's hopeless. Get a corner. Grab a corner. Pick him up. Do whatever it takes to get him into the presence of Jesus. Listen, that's exactly what we need. Listen, there's all kinds of needs there, all kinds of needs around us. I remember a little girl came. I said, hey, you're going to come to the party. Here's what she said. A little girl, elementary girl, she said, I'm not sure if I'm allowed because the man who tried to stab my dad is down there at the party. I don't think I can go. There were kids there carrying around kids with no dads around. Little kids already having kids. There's all kinds of people. You know what they need? Listen, we'll serve ice cream. At the end of the day, they don't need ice cream. They need someone who will carry a mat to get them in the presence of Jesus. They need someone who said, I'll go down there and I'll host a Bible study. And I'm not a preacher and I didn't go to seminary, but i got a heart for people. And so I'll go down there and love those people. Why? Because I'll grab a mat and I'll get people in the presence of Jesus. Listen, we got three huge prisons right down the street from us. People in literal literal bondage and in spiritual bondage as well. You know what my heart is? Let's go down there and plant a campus inside that prison. Why? We need some people who grab a mat and say, I'll go down there and share Christ with people. I'm not a preacher, and I didn't go to school, and I missed this. I can carry a mat. There's all kinds of people. Now listen, this very week, Pastor Eber in our Spanish-speaking service gets a call from our school district. And here's what they said. We've got a boy over here. He's 18 years old. Uh, he's almost senior. He's almost to the finish line. Graduation. He doesn't speak English or not well. And so here's the deal. Uh, he's homeless. And so uh, the situation he's in is too dangerous. He doesn't have a place to stay. He's right at the finish line of graduation. We don't know what to do. You know what that kid needs? He needs someone to grab a mat and say, hey, listen, I'm going to carry you to a place of hope. And we don't need more people sitting in this room, crowded in, exactly what's going on there. We need more people who say, I'll get a mat, and I don't know what I can do, but I'll carry someone into the presence of Jesus who's in a hopeless situation because he is hope. That's what we need. And you're going to have to run towards broken people now. Can we just be honest? Because people down the road at that prison, we say, that's not my fault. That's their fault. They made wrong choices. Look at those people in mobile home communities in challenging situations. Say, that's, not, that's not my fault. I made different choices. They should have made different choices. We look at people. And let's, we look at people and say, that's not my fault. Can I just share with you? None of those, all the foster kids in our community, it's not our fault. And the kids and people in prison, it's not our fault. And the people in this mobile home with all the challenges in life, that's not our fault. And the kid at school who's homeless, it's not our fault. But listen, let me tell you this. If we're ambassadors for Christ, none of those things are our fault. But it's our responsibility. Because Christ looked out at the world and our sin, and he said, hey, it's not my fault, but I'll make it my responsibility. And if we're his ambassadors, we have to do the same. So can you carry a mat? Because there's all kinds of people around us that if you don't get a corner, and you don't get a corner, and you don't get a corner, and you don't get a corner, they're going to be left there hopeless. You know what happens when you get burdened for people whose lives are broken? You tear the roof off the place to get them in the presence of Jesus. You say, that sounds like a lot of work. It is, but I promise you, on the other side of glory, it'll be worth it. 
It'll be worth it. On the other side of glory, you won't regret a single ounce of time, energy, or money you spend. It'll be worth it. And so these men here, they just said, hey, we'll do whatever it takes. And I need to know if you'll do that. We want to plant a church. Listen, the goal is not to go there and pass out ice cream and bust people over here. The goal is to go over there and plant a gospel-centered work. And I believe the pastors of those churches are sitting in the room right now. So I didn't go to seminary and I didn't, no, 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 no. Can you, can you carry a mat? Can you carry a mat? So you've got to run towards, listen, if you're going to be a faithful fisher, you've got to speak clearly about Jesus. You've got to run towards broken people. Here's the last thing really, really quickly. Uh, let me tell you how to fail at fishing. Here's how to fail. And I've, I've failed many times at fishing, all right? Here's how to fail at fishing. Two things really quick. Number one, be selfish. Be selfish. Listen, be more concerned with you getting blessed by what Jesus has to offer than you are burdened about broken people. That's what happened in this passage. Uh, look at this passage, verse 2. Immediately many gathered together, so there's no longer room at the door. Listen, it was a mob scene. You couldn't even get to the door and look in. And here's a guy outside whose only hope is Jesus. And he can't get to Jesus. You know why? Because too many people are worried about getting blessed, not even willing to recognize a guy's out here who has no hope apart from Jesus. Look at verse 4. And when they could not come near him, why? Because Jesus wasn't willing? No. Because someone wouldn't carry a mat? No. Why couldn't they get near him? Because of the crowd. I'm not, I'm not giving up my seat. I'm here to get blessed. Jesus is here. He's going to do something awesome. There's a guy on the mat who's no hope. Listen, if we're not careful, that's us in the church. I want to be blessed. I want to be blessed. I'm here to get my needs met. I'm here because I like these programs. I want these songs sung and blah, 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 blah. All the while, there are people around us outside who desperately need to get in the presence. Listen, what almost caused this guy to not get healed was selfishness. I'm crowded around because of what I can get. I don't even recognize there's a guy outside who has no hope apart from Jesus. And one is selfish. Number two be consumed with what people think. You start running towards broken people, hang out with broken people, uh, let me let you know a little secret. Church people might talk bad about you. My guess is that some of you this week wrote an angry check to the IRS. Amen? Some of you in the memo, memo line of that check wrote, how do you sleep at night, right? Hope you feel good about yourself. Well, let me just encourage you this morning. Hating tax collectors is biblical. All right, would you just write that down? Look at verse 14 and 15. We're almost out of time, so I'll hustle. Uh, verses 14 and 15. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. So Jesus is out, and he walks by the IRS, right? And so he's like, hey, you. And he said to him, follow me. So he rose and followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And then guess what? And the religious people, the judgmental people, the Pharisees, they saw him. They said, that's terrible. I can't believe you'd hang out with those people. That's a paraphrase. Why, why were the tax collectors so hated? Here's why. The Romans hated tax collectors because they were Jewish. The Jewish people hated tax collectors because they were working for the Romans and they were taking a profit uh, off the top of their own people. They were traitors. So everybody around hated tax collectors except one person, Jesus. He loved them. And you know what happened when he started loving people who were far from God? Religious, self-righteous, judgmental, critical people criticized him for it. And mark my words, if you start running towards and hanging out and building relationships with people who are far from God, there will be people who criticize you because of your association with sinners. But listen, if that happens, here's the good news. You're in good company. They did it to Jesus. They'll do it to you as well. John Harper was called to pastor the Moody Church in the early 1900s. 
but he never answered that call because he went down with the Titanic. W.B. Riley related the death of John Harper in the following story. He said, we have the history of John Harper's Inn for survivors brought to harbor and safety told it to us. When the Titanic was struck by the iceberg that drove in her sides and sent the ship to the bottom, John Harper was leaning against the railing, pleading with a young man to come to Christ. Four years after the Titanic went down, a young Scotsman rose in a meeting in Hamilton, Canada, and said this. True story. I'm a survivor of the Titanic. When I was drifting alone on a piece of wood that awful night, the tide brought Mr. John Harper on a piece of wreckage near me, and he said to me, man, are you saved? No, I said, I'm not. And he said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And the waves washed him away again. But strange to say, they brought him back a little bit later. And again, he said, are you saved now? No, I said, I can't honestly say that I am. And he said again, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And shortly after, he went down beneath the water. And there alone in the night, with two miles of water under me, I believed. And I am John Harper's last convert. John Harper was a man who was faithfully fishing, literally, until his last breath. May the same be said of us. Throw out the lifelines. Across the dark way, there is a brother whom someone should save. Somebody's brother, oh, who then will dare to throw out the lifeline, his peril to share? Throw out the lifeline, throw out the lifeline. Someone is drifting away. Throw out the lifeline, throw out the lifeline. Someone is sinking today. Father, I pray that our hearts will be broken. We look out around the sea of people around this church who are sinking in sin. The people in our neighborhoods little kids in mobile home parks. People in prison. Kids who are homeless. And God, we'd be so broken. 
sobered. But God, we do whatever it takes to throw them a lifeline. And Lord, it's my prayer that in the years to come, when people think of our church, they think of the building, the preaching, music. God, there'd be stories of people who said, my life was broken. And some people from that church ran towards me put me on a mat when I couldn't walk and they carried me into the presence of Jesus my life has never been the same and so Lord at the end of the day find us faithful let us be known as mat carriers for the king it's in his name we pray